Hello everybody, welcome to Borderline and Back, Hope, Management, and Resiliency for Borderline Personality Disorder. I'm your host Maggie, and before we get into this week's episode, this is just your weekly reminder. I'm not a doctor, I'm not a psychologist, psychiatrist, therapist, counselor, any of those things. I'm just here sharing my story of having Borderline Personality Disorder and ADHD, how I attempt to manage them on a day-to-day basis. That's a joke. I think I do a pretty good job at this point. And here to share resources for you or the loved one in your life who may have recently been diagnosed or currently walking this management journey with me in hopes that this will be able to help at least one person out there. This week's episode topic was actually a submission through the Spotify comment section. And this was sent in, I hope they're okay with me saying it, by Ms. Merrill. Um, And the topic that was submitted was talking about difficult emotions in in invalidating families during Christmas or holidays and how to handle the emotional attacks. So thank you, Ms. Merrill, for this submission. Um, The one thing that is kind of hard about the comments section is that I can't ask follow-up questions to you, and I really wish that I could. So with that being said, I'm doing a little bit of Maggie's interpretation on this question. And I want to set a bit of a preface. I'm approaching this uh, not just in the sense of the holidays, although I do think that that's a time when family uh, dynamics can be brought right front and center and make things more difficult. But what I'm about to talk about is for anyone at any time. I don't want anyone listening to think that what I'm talking about as far as invalidating families or invalidating environments and how to handle emotional attacks only applies a few times a year. I want you to know that what I'm saying applies any time that you need it, and that's really important to me. Uh, The second part of how to handle the emotional attacks, um, I'm going to kind of approach this from two, two fronts here. So when people are attacking you, and I'm putting that in air quotes, And when emotions are taking over and leading to those emotional breakdowns, those outbursts, or for what I would experience, of a tantrum, essentially. So to start, let's look at what invalidating means, because in this context, that's really important. Um, So invalidating, it means to make us feel unsure. It causes us to question our choices, even our diagnosis. It means to kind of downplay our lived experiences, and to intentionally or unintentionally gaslight or to be gaslit. It can sound like you're over the top. Why are you behaving this way? Just get over it. You can't have borderline personality disorder, BPD. I looked it up and it doesn't sound like you. And sadly, a lot of what caused our BPD to form is our lived childhood experiences, whether that be neglect, abuse, abandonment, a combination of the three. People that were supposed to care for us physically, mentally, and or emotionally. And they weren't able to. We were, we were let down. And those people that are supposed to be there and kind of be the gatekeepers, if you will, for us, they couldn't care for us or understand us in the way that 
we needed was required or that we expected them to. The first thing that I want you to think about when it comes to invalidating families or friends, just invalidating relationships and the difficult emotions that honestly come along with that, is to examine whether or not you have set boundaries with them. And this is something that I do very often. So if you have set them and that even if they cannot understand you or what you're experiencing, set that boundary that regardless of their understanding, that you will not accept their negativity or downplaying your lived experiences because how that makes you feel. Think about if you've calmly tried to express to them how their responses make you feel. And it's really important, and this is very hard if you're in that emotion mind that we talk about sometimes, um, especially in the DBT minisodes, but you need to use I statements um, with these boundaries about how they are making you feel or what you need, what you will or will not accept. And I statements are really interesting. I read a book a while back, um, probably last January, that's called Nonviolent Communication. And I'm going to put it down in the show notes. And one of the premises of this book was that very often when we are trying to communicate anything, really, we use you statements. You make me feel this way. You don't do this. You do do this. And it makes those people that we are trying to communicate with feel like they're being attacked, whether we're intentionally doing that or unintentionally do that, doing that. Pardon me. And when we use I statements, it creates a more compassionate way of communicating and it lets people know what you actually need. So say, for example, you're struggling with your dad. Okay, this isn't you. This is an example that I have. My dad likes to say that I need to question my psychiatrist and my doctors because they don't necessarily know what's going on. It's, it's his personality. We, he's very invalidating when it comes to my BPD. So what I say there is, I understand where you are coming from. I don't appreciate it. And I need you to not say those things because my treatment team is helping me with my management and to be able to live a good life and have a more stable emotional range than I had been experiencing. The other thing when it comes to communication and boundaries is after you've set your boundary, have you ensured or checked that the person you're trying to set this boundary with has even understood this boundary that you've set? Have you gone back and tried to check in when there's been problems? People can't change how they interact with you if they don't understand what you need. And it can be really hard. Again, if we're trying to set a boundary when we're not in wise mind, what we might be asking for could be very confusing. It could also be not entirely what we wanted to ask for because we're in that emotional mind state. So it's very good to ask, now that I've asked you this or asked this of you, do you understand? Do you need clarification? And it's going to feel weird. Learning to change how you communicate with people around you is hard. It's going to be clunky. 
but it is so worth it in the end if you've gone through those steps above and if it's not working if there's still poor communication disrespecting of boundaries that you've set i really really encourage you to evaluate a few things the first is if this is going on around the holidays like it is right now these invalidating experiences if this is a repeated pattern that happens is is it compromising your mental health is going to this function or being with your family is compromising your mental health worth you attending will your life be better because you're attending this event will your relationships grow stronger or will they be damaged if you attend I want you to remember that your mental health is more important than any holiday, no matter what someone might tell you. If your life isn't being made better, being made more joyful, if you're not building stronger, genuine connections, then why go? Again, if it isn't relationship building or nurturing, it isn't good for your soul or your mental health. Not to mention, When it comes to trauma, a lot of what happened happened in our childhoods. If going to a family function is going to require you to be around people that had a negative impact on your life or to be in a physical environment where trauma may have happened, I strongly advise you to reevaluate the need to go there. Again, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a psychologist, I'm, I'm just here sharing my lived experience, but being in an environment that is potentially going to trigger a, an episode is not worth it. It could hurt your mental and your physical safety, and the most important thing is to protect yourself. And I fully recognize that the things that I mentioned above and thinking about them is hard. And I don't want anyone to think that I don't know that. I've gone through years of my life where I have frozen out members of my family in order to protect my mental health. And whether that be protected to make it better or just protect it in order to sustain it. I also know that it is really hard to be alone, let alone to be alone during the holidays. But I really want you to think about it and to remember that family isn't always about blood. Family are those people that love and support you, that listen to you. Those people that build you up and hold you to be the best version of yourself. You can choose or make your own family. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I also know that it's hard with BPD to do this. to break bonds, to move forward in your life, or even to just be with yourself during any time, let alone potentially a a Hallmark holiday. I said at the beginning of this episode that this isn't just for the holidays, but this is me just using an experience. I struggled so hard during my first Christmas after my separation not having the same kind of traditions that I did before. But that time and that pain really helped me grow. And as hard as it was, I'm ultimately grateful that I got through it and that I learned some self-soothing from that. 
the other thing that I want you to sit and think about, possibly even journal about, is to think about why those people around you that are invalidating you are saying, behaving, or again, making you feel invalidated. Think about these questions. Are they feeling some kind of guilt or remorse? Were their actions or lack of actions a contributing factor in trauma that you may have experienced? Are they mentally or emotionally capable of understanding, let alone empathizing for you, your experience, your diagnosis, and your struggles? Are they victims of trauma themselves? And ultimately, do their actions and or words impact the course of your life? I know that everything I just said for you to think about is hard. And I know it's hard because if I had told myself to do this before I was diagnosed or right when I was diagnosed, I would have been pissed and I would have said, I don't want to do that. They're making me feel bad. Why do I have to think about them when this is about me and my feelings? And folks, this comes down to the willfulness versus willingness that we've talked about in our mini-sodes here. Um, I truly believe that one of the most important things when it comes to healing trauma comes down to reflection and forgiveness. You don't have to agree or like what happened to you, but having a certain amount of forgiveness, understanding, and being able to let go will truly release you of suffering that you might be feeling. I also believe, and through my own practice, will preach this for lack of better words, that as you work through these questions, you will begin to release a lot of the negativity that you might feel towards the people that have invalidated you or you feel might be emotionally attacking you. That even though it's hard to try and put yourself in someone else's shoes, especially if you're angry, especially if you're hurt, especially if you're emotional, you start to realize or examine all of the ways that everything, or not everything, quite a bit of what they're saying or doing actually has nothing to do with you. And again, that's very hard. Part of my experience with BPD, and I think that this is an experience that most people with a diagnosis have, is that we take everything extremely personally. We put everything on ourselves. And a lot of the time, that is completely unfair to us. And again, in asking these questions, in doing the work and journaling through them, I think you're going to realize how much of what's being said, actions that are happening, have nothing to do with you. And that a lot of it has to do with other people's unhealed trauma, with their unhealed shit, if you will. And once you work on that, once you review that, once you kind of build up that skill, that muscle, your life will get a lot easier. It will get a lot better. And even when things are being said and done that are invalidating, I ultimately believe 
through, again, my experience here, that it becomes easier to set those boundaries, especially with people that have been particularly resistant to boundaries in the past and those who have been the most invalidating in your life. But again, if someone is continuously invalidating, I want you to even ex- I want you to examine, pardon me, if that person is even worth continuing to have a relationship with. That's a very important question to ask. Not everyone deserves access to you. And again, that's very hard. I'm a big people pleaser. I want everyone to be able to have access to me and I don't want to have to shut people out or I don't want to have to terminate a relationship. But sometimes that's the best form of respect that you can give to yourself. The best way that you can honor yourself is to limit who has access to you to make sure that you are living authentically, that the people around you appreciate the person that you genuinely are, not the person you feel that you need to be in order to people please. I also just want to go and touch on the last um, consideration that I had said when it comes to evaluating people's actions, behaviors, anything like that that might be making you feel invalidated because I feel like I just got off on a bit of a tangent. But the last question that I said to post yourself is, do this person's actions or their words impact the course of your life? And this comes down to one of those mindfulness skills of just learning to let things roll off of you. A lot of the time we let things get under our skin and we just let them like get at us to just kind of chew away at us to just slowly bring us down. And the truly, it's not ironic, but I'm going to say that for lack of better words while I'm recording here, is that these are people who their opinions don't ultimately matter. They are just people that want to say something for the sake of saying something. They are Aunt Karen over there in the corner who just feels that she needs to get her opinion in because she's not necessarily happy with her life. They're Uncle Bob who's having a hard time with his own kids and is unhappy in his marriage. Truly consider the source that words, statements, and actions are coming from. Just sit with it. Don't react or remove yourself if you have to. But again, this is one of those things that will truly change how you interact with people and how you perceive yourself. How you communicate with others as well as yourself. And it's part of that whole character building, that whole moral compass thing that I talk about. As you consider that question, put it through the lens of the life that you want to live. What your dream life is, what your your life goals are over the next six months, year, two years, five years, 10 years. How does this person fit into that plan? How does their life compared to the life that you want to live. Would you actually take advice from them? Should they give it to you? Yeah, they might be invalidating your experience, but ultimately, does that change what you experience? And that's kind of a hard pill to swallow, if you will. But those hard pills are the pills that really help you grow and move into the next phase of your management and building up resiliency, building up this thicker skin emotionally to get you into that next phase of your life that I was just talking about. 
the second question or second half of the question that was brought up in the request was how to handle the emotional attacks. And I said I was going to address this in two separate um, kind of phases, I guess, or two separate portions of when people are attacking you, again, in air quotes, or your emotions taking over, almost like a panic attack, but we're going to call this an emotion attack, um, and leading to emotional breakdowns, tantrums. Um, and tantrums is just the word that I like to call it, but I, I'm kind of going to go back and lump these back together. So the reason I'm putting attacking in air quotes here, and don't at me, if you will, is that if we are in our emotion mind, it is very common for us to take a statement, an action, even a look as an attack. So the first thing I want you to do, um, if you are starting to feel revved up between that yellow, red, that little orange space, I want you to take a couple deep breaths, very deep, very slow breaths, do that belly breathing thing that we've talked about. And I want your exhale to be longer than your inhale. If possible, please remove yourself from the situation. Just say, I just need to step outside. I need to go to the bathroom. Regain your composure. Bring yourself down. Get yourself out of that emotion mind state. And preferably, you're going to use a tip or a stop skill. If you don't know what those are, hit up the DBT minisodes. Refresh yourself. Take a screenshot. Keep it with you. It's actually great advice. Put those on your phone. So if you need to quickly review them, you can. Emotional attacks and episodes are really hard. We don't always know when they're going to hit us. And this is not going to be comfortable, but I want you, when you're kind of relaxed, when you're in, an, in a wise mind state, to reflect on how your body feels before you get into one of those emotional attacks or what I call a tantrum. What are your signs or your indicators that this is starting to happen? How does your body feel? How do your thoughts start processing? You start having like visual cues, anything like that. And again, put them in a note thing on your phone so you can constantly check back and check in with yourself. And if you are out somewhere and that starts happening, that is your cue that you need to start using a skill or that you need to remove yourself from a situation, even if it's just temporary. Something else that I find extremely helpful for dealing with my tantrums, if you will, especially when I was first learning how to regulate my emotions, was to create a little kit um, that I could carry around with me. Uh, something or things that are soothing to me, very tactile or have to do with your senses. So I have a few of these kits. I keep one in my purse, I have one in my car, and I have one at my office. And this is going to sound so silly, but again, it's it's form of soothing. So I have something that to me like invigorates me by smell or that can ground me by smell. And it's whatever works for you. For me, um, there's an essential oil company up here in Canada called Sage, and they have this oil that's called Peppermint Halo, and it's just, it's very calming to me, but at the same time, it's uplifting, it's soothing, and I, I keep that around so I can just smell it very quickly, or I can put it on the back of my neck, and it's also cooling, so it's kind of two things in one that I get out of that. 
I have something that I like the feel of. So um, I have two different ones. One is just like this little piece of fabric that's almost like teddy bear fabric, if you will, that I can just kind of rub. It feels good. As a child, I would rub my uh, favorite stuffed animal to the point that he had no fur. He's an ugly, ugly looking puppy stuffy. But you can see what we called rubbing spots. And that was a way, even as a child, that I would soothe myself. I also have a rock in each one or almost every one. And it's just the cold sensation. It allows me to kind of ground myself and to just play with it, rub it in my hands. And again, that feels really good. Just just simple things like that. Something else that I do, and I think I've mentioned this before, is if you're more at home or if you're in a space where it's appropriate, you can put on music or a movie that you find comforting. And for me, for a very long time, actually, mine has been um, a few of my favorite things from The Sound of Music. And I used to listen to this when I was having uh, panic attacks. I would wake up with them in the night and they would be awful absolutely awful and I couldn't come down from them but I realized that that song would help me because in addition to listening to it I would start singing it and by focusing on the lyrics and singing it I wasn't able to focus on what I was experiencing and it helps so much to the point that even if I'm not in a full-blown tantrum yet if I start noticing those physical cues that I talked about earlier, I will go and I will put that on because I know that it's going to help me. Um, again, it, it's kind of a cue, if you will. And, and same thing, if, if something's going on and you're at home or even, you know, at a family gathering and you can just kind of slip somewhere quiet for a little bit, but you can put something on or watch it off of your phone to kind of reground you that you find comforting. Something I really enjoy is Lord of the Rings. I think it comes down to the soundtrack and the voices. But that's something I can put on if I'm feeling stressed that I know won't trigger me farther, that I know is going to soothe me, and that's going to kind of help bring me down from that red, orange, yellow, maybe to just strictly yellow or green phase of where I'm at with intensity of my emotions. I am also always going to preach that if you are on the verge or you are in the middle of an episode, breakdown, a tantrum, do your tip skills. Use tip, use stop. There's so many ways that you can go and do those that are subtle, but they're going to be the best way that you can come back from having one of those attacks or episodes. So that you can find more of a wise mind state and either try and continue on in the environment that you're in at the social gathering, anything like that. Or you can get yourself to a space that you are safe to be able to drive or take the bus, anything like that. And that you're also not going to engage in some kind of self-destructive or risky behavior. Again, please refer to the DBT minisodes on tip or distracting skills. Going back to when we feel like people are emotionally attacking us, I do believe that it is a very valid feeling to have, especially considering what we experienced as children 
as adolescents, even what we have experienced throughout our adulthood. But again, a lot of the time what we might be feeling, we might be taking it out of context. We might be living in the past instead of ex- living in the moment and seeing what's, hap- what's being said or what is going on for what it truly is. But then there's also the times where you are actually being maybe not attacked, where you're being confronted in a way that could be emotionally damaging. And that's not acceptable either. And this is one of those cases where you need to set that boundary and or you need to remove yourself. But you also need to communicate that what is happening is unacceptable from your perspective, that you will not tolerate it. And the hardest part about this is that you need to do it in a way that is calm or as calm as you can possibly be. And that's very, very, very hard. And I, I appreciate how hard that is. But you cannot match somebody else's potential intensity with your own intensity because it will not diffuse the situation. It will not encourage the other person to see how their actions truly affect you, how they impact you, and how they're unacceptable. If you're feeling attacked and you then go on the attack yourself, you are only validating that other person's perception of your responses, of who they think that you are, and validating probably their preconceived notion of your, again, I'm putting in air quotes here, instability. As hard as it is to be neutral and to not rise to what we might be perceiving as a challenge or an attack, it is the best way to decrease or stop that invalidation in that moment and to stop it from occurring in the future. And this is one of those things that you need to build up that skill to. It it takes so much to what do what some people might call like be the bigger person in a situation. And I know that. <laughs> I'm sorry for that pause here. I'm just I'm sitting here thinking about all the times that it was hard for me. But it's practicing these things in a small way, even if it's just in our head, that gives us the resiliency and the skill set to be able to do it when it actually comes up. I've actually had conversations in my head where I play out situations of how somebody might be responding to something that I'm telling them, something that I'm asking of them, just to try and prep myself, kind of like hype myself up and gauge how I'm going to respond to something. But a lot of what I'm talking about here goes back to what I said about if an event or people are worth ex- like exposing yourself to when it comes to your safety. Especially if you're like early on in your diagnosis and you're still at that trying to figure out like things out phase. If you're not great at mastering your skills, you don't have to go to that big event. You can call 
people and say, I would love to be around you. However, I don't feel capable of coming to, you know, Thanksgiving dinner, of coming to Christmas morning breakfast, but I'd love to see you at a different time. Can we arrange that? that that's a great response. That's a great way of stating what you need in a way that other people are going to respond well to it. And it's also a way of building up trust between you and these other people because it's expressing what you're feeling and what you need. On the topic of expressing what you're feeling, that is something that is so incredibly important, especially if you are in the middle of either feeling attacked by another person or if you're in the middle of a tantrum. We'll just use the language of what I call it. I think I've said that about six times already in this episode. When I have a tantrum and I'm sitting somewhere, certainly on the floor or on the ground somewhere, like I full on, I'm on the ground. Um, A lot of the time I get asked by someone around me, what is going on? What are you feeling? What, just a lot of what's, like, what can I do? What are you feeling? What are you thinking? And a lot of what I would say in the past was, I don't know. Because I was feeling multiple emotions all at one time. Feeling so many different things. But what I have learned is that when I'm feeling overwhelmed, when I'm feeling attacked, if I can take a couple of breaths and actually try and articulate what I'm feeling, it, it kind of removes that feeling, that emotion. So if I can sit there and say, I'm feeling unheard, which is an emotion really, if you think about it. But if I can say, I'm feeling unheard, I'm feeling overwhelmed, I'm feeling tired, I'm feeling hungry, those happen a lot. I'm feeling sad, I'm feeling angry, I'm feeling frustrated. That if I can at least get some of that out, it allows me to then start building up on why I'm feeling this way. So I am feeling frustrated because I didn't feel heard about my opinions for the kitchen countertops, for example. Or I am feeling angry because the garbage wasn't taken out today. Or I am feeling sad that I didn't get the promotion at work. Saying one feeling then allows you to build up on the sentences, even when you're feeling attacked. So say, for example, I'm feeling angry that I wasn't appreciated for bringing the potatoes to dinner, for example. Being able to communicate your feelings and your emotions then allows for more clear communication with another person. And a lot of the time when we are feeling attacked or when we are attacking people, that that's the line that that gets confused is communication. We just completely give up on it and we end up either screaming, walking away, slamming doors, slamming cupboards. And in doing that, we further damage the relationships that we have going on with people around us. Communication seems like one of those incredibly simple things in theory to do, but honestly, it's the hardest thing in the world. Um, especially when you're in a high stress situation like a family gathering, like a holiday, like being in a place that 
might not have felt safe as a kid if your family home didn't feel safe or being around people that didn't and still don't feel safe. I'm going to leave this episode, which I think I kind of bounced all over the place, so I'm sorry if it's feeling a little um, incongruent here, a little broken. It kind of was. I took a couple breaks for grabbing some food, taking the dog out. But I'm going to leave this episode by saying, number one, communication is key when it comes to anything BPD management. I'm going to say that the most important thing in the world is to keep yourself mentally, emotionally, and physically safe, no matter what the cost is to somebody else. I'm going to say that no turkey dinner, no family gathering is worth compromising your mental health, and that you are the gatekeeper of who is allowed to have access to you. I want you to care for yourself the way that you wished you had been cared for as a child. And that can be hard to do if you haven't gone through the inner child work or the reparenting work. That really helps to work through those, um, those issues, those traumas, those needs. Again, please refer to the episode about journaling. It is really helpful. And finally, I want you to consider where invalidating comments might be coming from. And as hard as it is, I truly want you to try and exercise some compassion for the people around you that are invalidating you or hurting you. I want you to experience that growth of learning to not necessarily empathize with them, but just maybe see where they're coming from. To see that they are also flawed people. And that their comments, their opinions, their thoughts might not actually matter in your life as much as you might be feeling that they do. I want you to look at that plan that you have for your life. See where this person fits into that plan. And filter those comments accordingly. I am going to check out for this episode. And make sure to check out the upcoming DBT mini-sode going into week 9. I will have that put up this week. Until that mini-sode. And until the next full episode next week. I hope you all are doing well. I hope that you're moving forward in your management. And if you are having a hard time or have recently had a bit of a setback in your management, I want you to remember you're probably doing better than you think you are. And I really want you to give yourself a little grace, especially during this holiday season. It's tough for everyone. And with that, have a good day, everyone. Bye.